0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Dreamwell Startup Journey Podcast. Now, here's the thing. You guys have no idea, but it took us 15 minutes to figure this thing out. So we're bringing this to you live and in color. We've got the classic Bobson and Shin. What's up, boys? Hello. Oh. And none, and today, we got a special guest today. So, look, this has been a journey for about a month now on this podcast or so, a month and a half. But for real, this has been a journey for years. And Phil probably has been sitting front row seat for the Dreamwell journey before anyone, to be honest. So that's who's going to be joining us today. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Philly.
1: Welcome Dreamwell back. crew, Kazi Bobson, and Shin. It's an honor to be on your podcast, guys. I am a big fan of what you guys are doing. Big believer. Um as you know, and thanks for the kind words and the introduction, but I have been following your journey for a very long time and I get inspired each and every single day I talk to you guys. So couldn't be more pleased, honored to be uh front row and center here on the Dreamwell uh, Entrepreneurship Podcast. Let's go, baby.
0: Yo, like I pleasure said, no, sorry, just... oh, sorry, go ahead, Shin.
1: No, it's a pleasure to have you, Phil. Yeah, thank you, Shin.
0: So Phil is in Montreal. We actually met all of us when we did our hackathon. So we talked about it on the f- second episode, I think, or the first or second episode. So we went to Montreal, the three of us, me, Shin and Bobson. And we got a cool Airbnb and then Phil came by to the, to the Airbnb, to the hackathon. what did you think about that? Three boys meeting up, getting an Airbnb and just hacking. Well, how did that, how I the absolutely
1: loved it. And, uh, I'll never forget when you guys gave me a preview of the, uh, the ROI ad generator, man, that just blew my mind away. And that's when I knew that you guys are up to something serious. And uh, I always knew you guys were going to create something serious. Like we said, we talked about this for years now, but uh, to actually see it in real life and like a full blown demo and all the changes and, Oh, was an inspiring day. None the least, man. And Cassie, I remember me and you talking on the couch after and like just having a heart to heart about like accomplishing what you guys have done. And, Never giving up, and just you know, the the real struggles that entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurs have, are real, man. They're emotional. They're hard, and uh, sometimes you got to take a step back and reflect on what you've created, to and just take a moment and like I remember kazi looking at the wall and pointing at you, and I was like, look, look, man, and that ad was there, the soda pop, the company, man, and like. I remember I had tears in my eyes, dude. It was incredible. So you guys know how I feel about you guys and what you guys are creating. So I'm there. I've always been your number one.
0: That's amazing, man. Yeah. Appreciate the kind words. And yeah, it definitely has been a journey. And, um, speaking of journeys like you, so can you just share quickly on, on the, on the podcast to the listeners, what, like what business you are a part of in terms of uh, only, like what that's about, what you do for the company, maybe a bit yeah. of the story, how it
1: started and you know what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. So I'm a two-time entrepreneur and I'll actually just give you a quick rundown on my first venture. Cause my first venture wouldn't have happened. My second venture wouldn't have happened without my first one. So I kind of like to, to tie them together. So, you know, as, as someone who worked in hospitality, you know, at an early age, you kind of get into the hospitality system, wanting to own a restaurant. If you're a good server or bartender you kind of grow you kind of get go into that industry saying like i want to be a restaurant owner i want to one day own this bar you know and that was kind of like my first kind of like big milestone that i want to accomplish was like i want to own a restaurant so fast forward you know seven years later after i decided to try and do it i did it and uh, it was a obviously the restaurant industry is no joke we all know that i'm not going to all that but it was my first real test of entrepreneurship and What was interesting about that is once I knew that I couldn't scale the restaurant as much and I knew it was way too much work, I knew I wanted to do something different. (laughs) Not to be the lazy entrepreneur, but I just knew it wasn't for me, man. It was just too much work, not enough ROI. And as we know, it's a very energy-consuming industry physically, right? It's a young man's game. So during that process, I actually met another young, inspiring entrepreneur who, Cassie, you know, uh, her name is Kat. And uh, she's the CEO of the company that me and her co-founded. And basically, my second venture started off as she had an idea to bring organic tampons to Canada. And she asked me downstairs in, this, in the staff washroom, was basically like, Phil, I have an idea. I went, what is it, cat?" And she's like, I want to I wanna get organic tampons delivered to my door. I want to create a business Because I can't find anything in Canada right now. And I looked at her and I said, whoa, that doesn't exist. And she goes, no, not in Canada. So this is a time where all the Shopify people were coming in my restaurant. I knew that tech was emerging. Like I had all the big Shopify execs coming into my restaurant. I knew that tech was the game. And e-commerce in Ottawa was obviously very, it was a very hot topic of conversation because of Shopify. And I said, let's do it. Handshake deal in the bathrooms. And like fast forward six years later after that, we've, you know, we founded an organic tampon company called getonly.ca, which is a subscription-based organic tampon pads, liners. And we also launched with uh, Canada's first reusable tampon applicator. So ended up being a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be than just organic tampons. Um, This is obviously a you know, a very big industry and a lot of scale. And that was my first kind of like e-commerce, tech, IP, raising capital, creating a board, learning roles as you go. But yeah, that's kind of all happened just in a nutshell. So that's what uh, my last venture was. Nice. Cool. Cool.
0: Um, what what would you say like the biggest challenges have been for that that venture? Not the first one, not the restaurant, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no. Well. Actually no, let's ask about
1: that because that was your first venture. So what was the biggest hmm. challenges with that? Well, the challenges was were the challenges were that I didn't really know what I was doing. I knew how to run a restaurant and I knew how to provide exceptional, you know, customer service and build a team, hire the best, you know, staff members. That was the easy part that came naturally to me. What was the challenge was the back end, you know. The, the, the financial management, the capital needed to kind of, you know, operate the restaurant on a weekly basis, um, all the liabilities, all the leases, all the insurance, right? All the stuff that is not talked about enough in business, in any industry, the back end side of things is what could cripple you just as fast, right? And that's, I learned the hard way from my first venture that like, don't just sign anything, you know, and that's, I was naive at that point, you know, I wanted to open up this restaurant Nobody could stop me. Did men sign this? No problem. I was too busy to do it, to read it, you know, and didn't have enough guidance, mentors to really kind of advise me to, to take this a little bit more seriously. So that was the first challenge in that business, without a doubt. Um, the second venture, the challenges are obviously, there's. it was kind of split up in two. Um, obviously, there's like the manufacturing, production, cash flow aspect of things, which is, you know, We're a product focused company, right? So we always need inventory on hand and you gotta, you you gotta watch your marketing efforts in order to make sure you have enough demand to fulfill product to fulfill, but then there's also running a business and just, you know, marketing and sales is very difficult. I don't care in any industry. Right. So I think that I overestimated my, my belief that it was going to scale and market itself, which wasn't the case. So it was a real lesson learned that marketing needed to be really a priority and have more experts and like thought leaders get involved in the direction of the marketing and sales aspect of things.
0: Interesting. Boys, by the way, feel free to jump in with it I, if you guys have any questions, especially as it pertains to, to selling, right? Because that's exactly what we're trying to help um, businesses do. But I guess what I was going to ask was, okay, so, mar- so selling was... A- a, the difficult part. So you set up everything, you set up the manufacturing, you set up the supply chain, and then you think that this is such a good product. It's so needed. It's organic. It's whatever it's going to sell itself. Right? So correct. Okay. Since we're on this podcast and we're building like a creator platform, right. To help companies sell their product and monetize their ads. Mm -hmm. How has your experience been like with influencers at all when it comes to only have you worked no, with it's any? Been an absolute nightmare. Work?
1: Nightmare. Okay, let's yeah, let's hear about that. I'll, just, be just, okay. I'll be blunt, man. I'll be completely blunt. As a startup, first of all, your capital is limited, right? So, as we all know, influencer marketing is it's a roller coaster, man. You don't know what you're gonna get at any given time. So, your twenty thousand dollar budget with marketers, you can come up with the most, the best influencers, the best kind of product, kind of placement added kind of like flower bouquet gift sets to give to your potential followers or new customers you don't get any data you don't get anything and that's a huge problem and there's no kind of like specific product that really gives you an roi that this this influencer generated you know six thousand dollars in sales influencer b did you know there's just all over the place and I wish that's how we got involved in this conversation a long time ago, Cassie, but like there was no piece of technology that still has solved this problem. And I've talked to so many entrepreneurs that are in the influencer game and, you know, without spending a lot of money um, for startups, it's, it's very challenging the influencer route.
2: Yeah. I often hear it's, it's also a very tedious process for the brand to actually outreach to the influencers as well have you like, can you share some experiences of like negotiations with any yeah, influencers? Of course. Yeah, to so of obviously like, yeah.
1: yeah, no, that's a good point. And obviously the outreach is always challenging. It takes forever for them to get back. And then when they do want to work with you, they want product first. So you got us, you know, we weren't giving them like, you know, we weren't in a position to cut them $5,000 checks. We had product to give. Right. So, you know, we created these beautiful kind of like influencer product kits and stuff like that. And by the time you know, that product, they finally agree to work with you. They finally get the product it at their house. They received it. And then they actually do the posts. You're talking sometimes, you know, you're in another another quarter. And like things have completely, you know, changed. It's crazy. Man. So there were some influencers. don't get me wrong, that, you know, obviously took it a lot more seriously. But at the end of the day, there was no like there was no almost like orchestra in the middle to monitor all that activity and give us the feedback that we wanted to see to bring to our investors and board and say, okay, we spent $20,000 on influencer marketing. Here's what we got out of it. Here's the ROI. And you know what? It's just a rinse and repeat. Like let's add to the budget that doesn't exist. And that's a problem.
0: Interesting. So, Okay. So you said you didn't have $5,000 to spend on an influencer because of other stuff, but if you could work with an influencer for 5k and expect a certain return, like seven or 8k by predicting it or giving you some sort of like something, some transparency, would you not spend that
1: 5k? It's a rhetorical question, but it's a no brainer. It's an absolute no brainer. But during, and this is, we, we started doing this just like right after the pandemic. Right. So like, you know there are like hey, there's no there's no ai stuff in in the game here we're still we're still using old kind of platforms and technologies that we couldn't even afford on a saas model cuz they're so expensive right so we would have doubled down on that because that's what marketing is you find something that works you spend it and you increase the budget and you know we you would hit definitely
0: Yes. Oh, sorry. What I was going to say is that, yeah, you mentioned something like that. We have noticed as well, which we've talked about Phil obviously is wow. accessibility, like accessibility in terms of these platforms, right? They exist, but the, some of the top ones in the industry are two, three, $4,000 a month on a one year term. So imagine how, how do you even test that when you're spending 72 K or 75 K us a year, and you know, you, like, it's hard to justify a hundred thousand dollars Canadian. It's gone. You can't even test and stuff. And that's kind of what we want to bring to the table. Shin, what is it called? Democratization? Is that what it's called?
3: Yes. Yeah. It's called democratization. Yeah.
0: So what's democratization? Can you just explain it to the viewers to the listeners?
3: Democratization of something is basically to solve the accessibility issues. Um, of, of, of that particular least object is to bring this technology or if that we're talking about, um, widely widespread amongst. I've heard the term
1: Shin, and you're right. It's called yeah. democratize. So you want to democratize, let's say, you know, uh, Dreamwell software for the red, the whole world that could be able to use this platform for influencer marketing to be the norm it's democratized. And that's another thing too, Kazi and the boys, like these these influencers like there's not a lot of tech that does what we i would have liked it to work and they're also hard to find and like you know as a shopify store owner like the integration wasn't really there like the shopify app store didn't really like give us really good suggestions we've heard about them on like you know different kind of like the, the shopify podcasts work with these ones but like not at scale. They're not, it's not democratized yet. Yeah, that's a really good word. I really like that a lot. And that's basically what it is. Yeah. And
0: that's the thing is that you, you, it's these like one year minimum terms where you can't even test them out to see it, how it does. So it's hard to even, they're not even an option. And that's kind of one of the things that we want to do is to be able to allow people to use it if they're happy. Like, then we're doing a good job. And the thing is that it keeps us on our feet and honest because if we're not doing well, then they're not going to stay. And it's like, the other way is to just make as much money as humanly possible by having good sales reps and forcing you to sign 50 K. But the thing is, is like, I we, we don't have it in us to do that, especially because I work with brands and I see how hard they hustle to raise capital and whatever. And it would like, yeah, I'll make some good commission if I close them for 50 K, but they're, they're, They're fucked now because if it doesn't return ROI, which again, it doesn't have to, I I can chill knowing I just made 50 K for the business, even if you don't spend a dime on an influencer. So we're kind of putting ourselves the other way where we're like, Hey, you can leave if you're not happy, but we want to build something so
1: great that you'll want to, like, you'll want to stay, you know? So you're holding your cost. You're holding Dreamwell accountable for the success of your investment that took us a lot of time effort, whether it's raising capital, sales, profit, you're holding Dreamwell accountable for my success. It's great. I love it. I love it.
0: Everybody wins in that case. The influencer wins because they're getting repeat uh, business because they're doing actually well, they're converting revenue. So you'll do longer deals with them. We're doing well, the business do it. So like, it's, it's just the variable. So the, the thing is, is like, why wouldn't everybody do it? Right. That's the question. Okay. If it's great for everybody, why is everyone do it? Because it's a, it's a lot of pressure to give yourself that much like responsibility to have to do those returns. And two, um, it's a lot harder and way more complex to build these systems. So those, that's the reason why if anyone's listening, like, Hey, why isn't everyone just do it this way? It's because it's really difficult. Like, there's influencers, Phil, we've talked about it, where they both average 100,000 views. One guy will do 5K in sales. One guy will do 50 bucks. Like this, this happens. So, you
1: That's know. That's what like, happened to us.
0: Literally. Exactly. Yeah. So, interesting. Okay. Now, by the way, feel free to jump in, anyone. Me and Phil can talk. When me <laughs> and Phil do five-minute calls, they're five, they're an hour call. That's how yeah. our calls usually go. I just
1: want to go back to something that you guys mentioned too about like providing a, a, a solution to this global problem. And, um, you know, it's what I like about Dreamwell and what you guys have created is like, I'm always, I always, I, sometimes I talk to you guys on my customer hat, right? I'll, be, I'll say like, I, as a customer, like you guys are also providing something that not a lot of companies are offering, which is backend analytics, dashboard insights to a T, right? And for me like I've always wondered why no one else has kind of like thought about the customer because like I'm the one paying. So now that you're saying where you guys have created something where I'm going to see a return, accountability is there and I'm also going to have all the metrics and insight, it's it's fucking genius, man.
0: Well, let me okay, let me ask Bobson actually because I feel like Bobson you've experienced this in your in your uh your journey. So like Especially at Ad Parlor. So, can you briefly explain what Ad Parlor is, just for the listeners and and for Phil?
2: Yeah. So, you can think of them almost as an agency, but they they were sort of like a hybrid between like a software company and an agency. But the software product itself, it helped brands distribute their ad spend across all the different social ad platforms. For example, Facebook, um, Instagram, sort of the same thing now, but. Um, so Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Snapchat, Google, all of these were partners with ad parlor. And then our software would actually automatically basically set up campaigns on all those platforms. So the brands just had one interface, um, and they didn't have to go into like Facebook ads manager, for example.
1: It's cool. I like the name too. It's a cool Mm -hmm. name, but it's also, that's a very cool way of doing it. And that's, I'm assuming you guys had some bigger clients who could just be like, yeah, here's a hundred K split the pie up and, uh, Yeah, let me let me see the dashboard.
0: <laughs> so the question, Bob, that I was going to ask you based on what Phil was saying is that like, how complex is it to provide all of this data and how complicated is it to understand what data to show a customer that tells the story of whatever they're trying to, to, to see? So how, mm-hmm. so those are kind of two questions.
2: Yeah, so to... to... Related to my experience at Ad Parlor, for context, I, I was there for four years. Um, I ended up being like the lead software engineer that reported to the CTO, and I, I was like the lead of most of their software projects there. And I would say, like, out of all those software projects in those four years, probably like fifty to sixty percent at least of that time was just focused on building data pipelines and building like data visualizations so that we can probably explain to the brands like how all their campaigns are doing. So like a lot of focus was just focused on like curating that data and and making sure it's all um, up to date because like getting stale data is like a huge issue to deal with as well. Um, And like the actual campaign stuff and and optimization, like it it seems like that would be more complicated. But funnily enough, like the the data pipelines was actually the most complex
1: part. So it sounds like AdPolar was on their game. They basically saw this road, this saw this 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 problem as well, and they decided to, to kind of fix it internally.
2: Yeah, they're a cool company. They, we were advertising on Facebook super early when all those like mobile games were just popping up, and even like like Facebook games. You guys remember Farmville and stuff? Yeah, like yeah, that? Farmville and yeah. Uh, Poker,
0: Facebook Poker.
2: Right. So Ad Parler got started super early as like a Facebook partner and then they just expanded to all these other platforms and it was a lot of fun like building all those different um okay. like, integrations. Yeah. So
0: here here's a question. Look, we're getting technical and marketing, which is amazing because that's what our podcast is uh, or our business is about. So I'm happy that it was organic the way it happened. So what I want to add on top of that is look, guys, the cat's out of the bag. We want Phil in Dream It's that simple. So everybody listening. Phil's been here for a long time. Phil, you know, has been, um, he's been, he's been with me on this journey the whole time. And, and we kind of want Phil to, to join the, the team when the time is right, which should be very, fairly soon. Here's a question, Phil, like we're going to do it live here. What is one, what is one thing that you would want to implement if you were to join the team? Let's ask you right now.
1: Hmm. One thing I would implement. Wow. That's it's like a, big, a very like Seth Godin question to like uh, put you on the spot of like, can this person actually work with you? So ask him a question <laughs> that if you can fix a problem within your company and if he can, then you're going to be able to work with him for a long time. But yeah, um, I mean, listen, I'm just going to go back to the customer facing uh, kind of, I always wear that hat with you, right, Cassie. And you know, I've always kind of, that's kind of how I looked at things. So one kind of thing that I would like to kind of maybe just, be more part of is basically how the customer kind of perceives the journey on onboarding, right? So basically, like as a brand manager, as a marketing director, the the, the UX experience when it comes to the messagings and just the experience of the transactional experience to the T, right? That's where I could... You know, I think I can bring some value and just make it very easy to kind of like communicate to the people that are putting that together, um, and also just like, man, being like a how can I say this, but um, just being like the 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 soldier, you know, that's like in the trenches for the general. You know what I mean? Like getting dirty and like representing the company at its highest kind of like, you know, value and protecting it you know like the old the kind of like dads and protecting the the children almost like very protective of my boys but anyways i'm t- rambling here but that's kind no, of no
0: you're not that's what it is that's the question what would you want to bring up? Yeah. at the
1: end of the day like there's going to be a million things that you guys are going to go through that are going to need change and there's going to be second questions and people are going to tell you this and that and you're going to wait till you start getting some vc money and more people on board it's a nightmare you know and one thing that I've learned in business is that like, from I don't think like you can't take shit from anybody And like the founder's vision and mission is there and either you're in or you're out, you know, and being able to communicate that to outside partners is something that I'm very comfortable with now at any cost.
0: <laughs> it, it was uh, interesting. So like sometimes it can deviate
1: based on how many people you have in the kitchen. Yes. And you know, the more skin in the game a person has, the more people, the more opinions and kind of, you know, you guys should do this or talk to this. Right. And at the end of the day, like, you know, you you guys are going to experience firsthand. Right. It's, it's a lot managing a team and investors and a board of directors and, you know, venture capitalists. I've never worked with venture capitalists, but I can only imagine there's, there's some kind of like accountability and communication that takes place. And, I'm assuming that they are going to have some opinions of strategic direction or marketing or whatever you guys, you know, as you guys are on this path of growing, there's going to be people that are going to question where you're going. But if you guys ultimately truly believe this, then it takes someone that has a lot of balls to say no and no many times, you know, and I don't know, I'm just... I've heard it all. So from now on, like I just told myself that the gut is the best kind of weapon and trust your gut, it's the best things you think you have. So.
2: Yeah. I think that's so important to call out, like as the companies grow, it's it, staying, like keeping our developer velocity high, like staying close with customers. I think that's so important. And like, I love that you're bringing that DNA to the company.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that I even like just with, you know, I'm in sales right now. Like I'm not going to mention where I'm working, but like, I still think that there's a little bit of room for improvement. We focus so much on the back end side sometimes that we forget about who's actually buying and like what their experience is like. And like, if you make that process the smoothest possible, they're going to be your champions and they're going to refer, you know, brand managers hang out with brand managers, right. And marketing directors, talk they so oh my god we're using you know it was such a great experience i talked to Kazi and he gave us a full demo and when the company signed up it was just like the best experience we actually made money and the dashboard was incredible like you guys should actually try them you know what i mean they become your customers and that always makes things a lot easier nice what here's a
0: here's a another here's a question i have for you so like how do you how do you uh how do you stay on top of like what the trends like what do you read what books do you read what are some good podcasts or good docu series or whatever that
1: you're using to stay up to date and just learn yeah, and, you know That's a good question man cuz there's so much knowledge out there and like I feel like now more than ever we're bombarded with I mean obviously I, I don't have Netflix I watch YouTube all day every day it's literally what I watch okay and my feed is just constantly showing me different stuff that I never look but Yeah, I'm a big like, you know, obviously sales books, I've been reading a lot of sales books. I just finished Sales Simplified, um, which was a really good, easy, you know, 200 page book on just the simplicity of sales and kind of going back to kind of like the outbound, gritty, just making, you know, kind of aggressive sales strategy because now we're just, the email is almost, the, the, the LinkedIn sales navigator and the email strategy is almost kind of like lost its touch. So you got to go back to kind of like the grassroots sales, very kind of outreach, call heavy. But I've also been past couple of weeks, I think I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, Kazzy, but I've been really kind of um, into like the history of like advertising and marketing. And, you know, some of the stories that are out there about, you know, past kind of campaigns that, you know, like the the glory days of the 50s and 60s of like Madman era, let's say, like not Madman, but actual physical kind of like, Campaigns that were created are just mind blowing, you know. So that's something that I've been kind of watching a lot. Obviously, Seth Godin's my guy. I'm a big Seth Godin guy. I read tons of his books. I'm subscribed to his channel. I watch all his stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what I really like because I'm passionate about that stuff. Marketing, advertising, I just love it, you know. And uh, I think everybody has a different style of marketing. And everybody has, you know, Cassie. You're very analytical, and like, you have so much knowledge on the, the influencer YouTube space. And like, for me, I'm like, I just love like old campaigns and like old John Deere's and the Fifty Magazine printout. And you're like, man, it's just so cool how they did it back in the day, and like what it created our industry now. So that's kind of what I'm on to answer your question.
0: Nice, yeah, man. I love. I know what you're talking about like the uh, Marlboro ad there's like a famous Marlboro ad where you guys just like a cowboy sitting smoking and it was one of the most famous it's so cool the thing is now I'm analytical whatever because it because it exists and it's all there and it's so much that you'll get behind if you don't utilize it but I always watch Mad Men so it's a show on advertising in the 60s and that's what I always envisioned marketing as a like career is where you're just sitting down in a cool ass boardroom with your guys and then somebody walks in the room they're like okay guys Pepsi what are we doing? <laughs> I love like it. Now it's, it's like, hey, Chad GPT, I have Pepsi as a client and this is my persona. What do I do? You know, like kind of, kind of, listen, I love AI, but I also love the. Yeah. You
1: know, And that that's one thing that's kind of Seth goat. I was just listening to an episode. Uh, he was on a podcast uh, in a, a, a video podcast in the UK there. And he basically said that with all this AI integration, which is incredible but also it's going to start putting value. It's going to putting, adding more value to the humanized approach, right? So human, how did he say it? I can't remember exactly, but it was basically like the human value has never been more, like it's going to be more demanded from our customers now because there's so much AI and like tech around us.
0: For sure, originality. I think when I was thinking about it, I'm like, there's going to be so much AI that you have to have good story, good content and not like ai created content i mean like something that somebody can't replicate which y- you you can't copy like if you're gary v you're gary v that's it doesn't matter how cute your video is you're not gary v that's it so gary these they're called moats. they've created like moats protections around their originality that that's what has to happen is you got to build the vibe the the feeling of a brand which we've always loved. I know you feel you love that as well is evoking emotion through story and brand, which is what I would like to do. We want to do anyway. So AI, like it should speed up editing other stuff, but it shouldn't like a company shouldn't only be spitting out AI content because it's not going to be received. Well, that's what it is. It won't be received well and build that.
1: At the end of the day, just going back to what I was referring to on like the customer experience, right? That customer journey, that buying process, that buying journey, like you have to humanize that because at the end of the day, like, you know, that investment in Dreamwell is going to be made by a team of marketers somewhere. And it's not going to be ChatGPT clicking to subscribe to the, the, the SaaS platform, right? It's going to be a decision by humans. So you got to humanize that approach all the way to to subscribe or check out. So, you know, it's funny. I I saw a tool, a few tools, what they do. It's crazy. They,
0: they, you make a video and then it like changes the mouth so that it says a different brand's name to like, make it contextual to a hundred people to make it seem like they're trying to like, you know, make outreach emails at scale, bro. If I got an email from a robot human talking to me in a tone, I would, close it and reply it to them be like bro what is this garbage like come on you know so i see it all the time these new tools that are emerging where it's just a weird avatar talking and you can tell it's not a human it's too cringe and it's not gonna do well in my
1: opinion like i, some agree. Of them, I hate it especially as you're like it. you know you're gonna have a business back end you're gonna be needing some tech you're gonna be you're gonna have a tech stack and you're gonna be relying on support from other companies right and like if it's just chatbots feeding you stuff where you guys can't figure out and like, or they're just basic, oh, it, it's. I think there's going to be a saturation of it, and we're it's going to have to plateau a bit because like there's still a huge human human experience and a human element to business. Man,
0: go ahead, Bobson.
2: Yeah, like I, I think I've seen the one you're talking about, and I think they do look very cringy still, but. I mean, imagine like six months. What if you can't tell the day? Then then would you still feel the same way?
0: Then we're going to taking our money, going to Mexico, living on the water and talking about the old days. That's (laughs) it.
1: Oh man. That's the plan, bro.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, we invent a new language that large language models aren't trained on yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a very interesting time though. I can only, you guys are in a tent, like a million times more than I am. And I can only imagine what you guys are seeing and like, You know, obviously uh, I can imagine. Yeah. But also you guys are probably learning a lot, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good time to be building.
0: It's overwhelming because this, there's a generative AI LinkedIn page called generative AI. It's gaining 5,000 followers per like hour. It seems they're always like, okay, here's last week's new companies that emerged. Here's the new 200 companies. It's like, man, and I go through them because I just want to know what's happening. I want to know what's out there and I'm, I'm reaching out to the founders to meet them all because I think the next unicorns are going to come from these companies because of the scalability. So I'm always trying to meet these founders and say what's up and get access to their tools and use them, whatever. Yeah,
3: but man, cool, man, it's like,
0: there's a use case for everything. Like it's, it's overwhelming, you know? So I think that might, what might happen is like you said, it's going to get so saturated to the point where everyone's going to be so turned off, but then, something has to happen to like normalize it and bring it back to human. And I don't know what that is. Like, I don't know. It's like gonna capsize, and it's only exponential. So like, isn't it always going to be like this? Isn't the future only going to be AI content? Like, why would it not be? Do you get what I'm yeah. saying? Like, how would it just turn off? It won't. So are we not doomed in that case? Like, what do you think? Shin, what do you think about that? I want to know your opinion. Like, isn't everything just going to be the same? Like you click a button and you don't do anything. You just sit. And it edits it, it does it for like are we now going towards that?
3: I don't know if we're going towards that, but um earlier when you were talking about those contextualization and people talking, those AI talking, that really sparked a really interesting question in my mind. Where since we're pretty heavy in this call, uh in this podcast with uh, marketing and sales people like you and Phil, you know how like sometimes they say, um, the more sophisticated or higher form of marketing and sales resides in more, um, subtle, su- subtle way. Almost like it's, it's, it's almost like a bridging with like growth hacks and those manipulate like subconscious manipulations. And it's more organic. It's like the smell they
0: have in the casino. They have, or the sound, the music, the yeah. type of music they play at a casino yeah. is to keep you awake. It's those t- subtleties you're talking about.
3: Yeah. Some, <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then the, on the other hand, you have like uh, it's basically finding the the right balance, right, between too aggressive and too subtle. I, I would say sell and undersell and or oversell. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was yeah. So I was curious, and how 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 would you guys find this balance?
0: You know what's funny is as we were talking. By the way, I just took off my headphones. There are never no sounds coming out of them, and they're not being used. And I'm like, wait, what am I? Why am I wearing these? <laughs> they weren't even being used. But I Googled something as you we were talking, Shin. I Googled the word neuromarketing. I've never heard of this term before, but I feel like it should exist. And I Google it and it says, neuromarketing loosely refers to the measurement of physiological and neural signals to gain insight into customer motivations, preferences, and decisions. So it exists. Mm-hmm. You're talking about neuromarketing. That's so weird. That's the most like...
1: Yeah, it exists. Imagine neural marketing. It's powerful too. Like it's, it's not everybody that uh, can can do that type of marketing, but and it's not any company. But if they like a casino in Las Vegas, I'm sure they have budget is no option, and they can definitely do those kind of like those tactics to to keep you in.
0: This is like neural marketing. It's a little cynical because. It's very cynical, in fact, because of the Mm -hmm. nature of it. Like let's use, let's sell to your subconscious. That's where, that's where these companies, Coca-Cola and these beer companies are selling to your subconscious and there's nothing you can do. So when you're at the store and you see Heineken or whatever, Mm -hmm. it touches like, you remember the ads are all, they're all like, uh, attacking your self-esteem of not being with girls. So you see it, you're like okay, if I drink one, I'll have a girl. Like these, this is the dangerous, crazy, cynical part of marketing. Yeah. It's a little much, but
1: yeah. Well, Kaz, to, to touch on that point, boys, we had an opportunity. We were kind of pitched at one point because we were a subscription-based company and we, 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 we shipped on scale across Canada, right? We were actually advised to get these little uh, sleeves of uh, mint and put them in our subscription box so that when the customer would open the uh, the box, they would have like a mint smell and nice. every time the the plan was that every time they smelt mint they would relate back to that that our product we never <laughs> did it but uh that's that goes neural marketing right there because yeah, you're touching right that well. sense but, that's a yeah. great
0: that's a great idea though because uh, i know it's very like the first thing you see from a brand is that box you're like okay this is my first touch point or my first impression so mm-hmm. like it's not a horrible idea to you know you open it you have that nice smell uh, Oh you hear the yeah. you hear the choir singing you know <laughs> yeah man as, that's, yeah. that's
1: that's what marketing is right it's just really finding out unique ways to you know yeah communicate to your customer and make them believe that your brand is better than everybody else's one
0: so, yeah, thing yeah, i do so, want to say sorry go ahead chen
3: so yeah i was think i was saying to answer a question i think um, this whole AI craze is definitely going to enable this whole neuromarketing potential so that you can deliver organic in a human way, but enhanced with AI underneath. So with that being said, like, how do you trace the line?
0: It, you know, I think what you got to do and hope is that companies that emerge that are doing this that are building what we're building have good morals and values and ethics because then you can kind of control and contain with before it gets so out of hand and for pure profit. Like one thing people used to hate is advertisers and marketers. Like they used to hate them the most. I remember the ranking when I was in school in marketing, they taught us that like guys, just so you know the most hated person that was number one you guys Number three was like Jehovah's Witness. It was the weirdest thing ever, but it was us. So, like I as we grow and our tool and pixel and our little brain in our engine becomes more powerful, there's a ethical responsibility for a company like that. And I would hope that companies like that are are promoting more get onlys, more sustainable companies, more companies that mm-hmm. every dollar, or every purchase we purchase a shoe and or a boxing glove in Mexico, you know, something like that, where, where you're pushing good companies so that it's not just like, okay, well we have an algorithm. We know we can predict revenue. Let's just go here and create all this money. So that's something that we want to be very cognizant of is to be that good ethical company promoting goodness to the world. Like our companies dream. Well, it came out of a company or it came out of a movie where an African kid built a well in Africa to save them from famine. Like we're trying to do good for the world. You know, it's just that this is such an interesting, creative storytelling, amazing industry that it's so cool. But at the end of the day, on a human side, like we're trying to do good for the world as well. Like there's only so much money you can have. Okay, great. You have a million, you're a millionaire, multimillionaire, billion, like, you know, so that's something that I, I guess I just wanted to, to mention. So that Absolutely. Make- Man,
1: that's the right mindset to have Kazi, And like, you know, there's a lot of media mediocrity out there, right? I'm going to go back to Seth Godin again, but he talks about being, you know, so many companies are just media medium based, you know, everybody's average, you know, and everybody's trying to get average market share, you know, like more, he uses that word more like the four, the famous four letter words, more average, more market share. Like, it's just, there's nothing special great about that there's no goodwill get coming out of that right there's no humanized kind of like changing the world out of that man you got to think higher and want to do better
0: definitely well amazing man this was great what how long we go 43 minutes is this
1: the longest one we've done or no we have another one it's pretty good you guys said 45 minutes and we're 43 minutes in this is good man this is like nice for one time, like you're on time, Cassie. That's pretty good. <laughs> I mean,
0: we were 15 minutes late for the actual uh, podcast because of the technical, but
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. I see the boys laughing pretty hard there. So that was a good one. I know that. <laughs>
0: yeah, that one spiked some trauma, man. We shouldn't be doing this right now on the podcast, bro. This is a combo for us. <laughs> well, listen,
1: man, it's, uh, it's always an honor to talk to you guys and I look forward to coming on again. And yeah. Uh, talking about the journey in detail and see where we're at in six months, a year. I uh, am a podcast and YouTube fiend. So uh, I can't, obviously can't wait to hear other guests too, man. It's going to be inspiring to hear other stories. Definitely, man.
0: Well, thank you everybody for listening. Um, Remember to smash the like button. No, that's not (laughs) YouTube. YouTube. See, I'm so used to that. Remember to give us five-star ratings, like, is there a like button? Guys, look, just save this podcast. Make sure to tune in next week. Go listen to the first ones before this. We've been gone for a few weeks now. We didn't post the last couple of weeks because we're ready to we're pretty much ready to launch our product and we're raising capital at the same time, literally. So we're very, very busy in the, the boys are in the trenches coding and and, uh, and building product. We're trying to get this out to you. If you're listening to this, go to www.dreamwell.ai www.dreamwell.ai. Join the waitlist before it's too late. And uh, if you're listening to this five years into the future and wondering how we just went public for a billion dollars, well, you know where it started. So thank you, everybody, <laughs> for listening. Tune in next week. It's your boys, Dreamwell Startup Journey. Peace. Peace.